Common bienvenue, Kanichiwa, Nihao, Jambo, Aloha, Nihao, Morhaba. It's time for the Arms Inquisition yet again, episode 202 on Sunday, the 3rd of October. Ben and Matt have gone home. I'm doing this back asswards because um, we've finished recording with Edward Marriage, so I'm just doing a little intro for you. Uh, we had a great chat with Edmund about. Um, the early like the Jesus and Thomas and uh, loads of wild, interesting uh, theories. So uh, stay tuned for that. And then uh, after our chat with Edmund, we'll uh, do a bit of housekeeping and uh, fly through some funny new stuff. And uh, that's about it. Catch you on the flip side, I guess. You're going to say hello, Zeus. Hey, Zeus, you're going to say hello before I go. Hey, Zeus. There he is. There he is. Are you going to say hello? <laughs> Snorty pants. He's a goodish boy. He's a goodish boy. Yeah, you are. You give me a paw. Oh, he's a good boy. Can't see you on camera. Never mind. Right, catch you on the flip side. Don't touch that dial. And the interesting point about that is that... Um, and and a lot of people won't like it or accept it, but it's all there in the text that Jesus and Thomas were twin brothers. Oh. Right. This is uh, Thomas. Was it? Is it Thomas Judas Didymus or Judas Thomas Didymus? <laughs> yes, that's right. That's right. From the uh, it was the guy um, doubting Thomas, isn't it? Doubting Thomas. That's right. Now the point here is very important: is that. Um, when we actually look at what recording Jesus... in progress. Sorry, say again. Uh, I've got a sign saying and a voice saying "recording in progress." Yeah, I thought we, we were sort of getting into it, into the uh, the material. So I thought I better start recording before I forget. <laughs> yeah. No. Well, so so what the the whole story of Jesus and Thomas is to extract all the references from the text. And whereby uh, Thomas is the person who has kept the most accurate records of what Jesus is teaching. Uh, Thomas and Jesus are around way after the crucifixion. Uh, he did not die at the crucifixion. Um, and the Roman prefect made absolutely sure that Jesus was not killed on the cross. And the reason for that was that Pontius Pilate was in regular communication with Jesus' father, who happened to be um, um, the Emperor Tiberius. Whoa, um, twist. <laughs> lots of references where we see that Jesus was born out of wedlock, um, so was Thomas, twins, in Rome, 
uh, um, when Mary, the mother of the two boys, uh, who was a princess in her own right, connected very closely to the Herod family, and Tiberius came back from campaigns in Germany and obviously had a fling uh, or even a deeper love affair with uh, Mary, who was in actual fact an heir to the Herod dynasty. Um, I'm not going to pull out all the references because I'll be here all night. So we have a situation where we have twin boys born in 7 BC in Augustus's palace in Rome and where Tiberius in 8 BC had returned from Germany being an extremely successful general and he had obviously had um, a liaison with Mary who was 17 years old at that time. And so you then find all sorts of connections here um, which are supporting the importance of Augustus's palace and what was going on there and the role of um, Tiberius. Of all the people who wrote about Jesus, Tiberius produced the most numerous documents and accurate reports of Jesus over his lifetime. And we find Tiberius going with Jesus um, to India, uh, to the Far East, uh, to Taxila in northern, uh, northern India, the most important university town for Buddhists. And clearly they were in constant contact with each other uh, for the rest of their lives. But the interesting point is that um, Augustus, who was the emperor, um, they were always very keen to look for and find people who could run the various uh, client states, or whatever you call it, um, and run them in the interests of Rome and run them well. And what Augustus decided to do was to send Jesus and Thomas, uh, when they were quite young, at 12 years of age, to Britain to be adopted by Tenvantius, who was the most important king in central Britain. And Tenvantius, um, his tribes were the Cachalavorni. So Jesus and Thomas, at the age of the tw at the age of 12, under the instructions of Augustus, arrived in Britain, and one of the reasons for that was that um, Tenvantius's two sons, Sinbadun and Lear, had both been killed fighting for the Romans, and they had been previous attendees at the court of Augustus. And so Augustus was um, re rectifying a problem and putting two brilliant young men, because they were, they were getting a fantastic education, um, and putting those two boys back in Britain at the age of 12, where we find Jesus being um, appointed um, a Pendragon, King of Kings, by the Druids who ran things, um, and taking over as king of the, the uh, in fact, the, not only the Cachalavorni, but also 
the um, the, tri the tribe at Colchester were the Trinovantes, um, and Jesus brought a peace treaty between those two, and was the most important king in Britain. He was appointed to the title of, of literally uh, uh, king of kings, effectively, in Britain. He was so highly regarded. And so what we have, uh, having been appointed by the Druid Council for the whole of Britain, we have Jesus, and when he arrives in Judea to preach, um, what he's oh, This teaching. is the missing... This, sorry to Edmund, this is the missing years between Jesus as a young mm. man and when he comes back in the Gospels at the age of 30-odd. Yes. There's a whole uh, storyline or narrative missing. This is what we're referring to now, is it? That's right. What, uh, and the point is that what, what actually happened was that Tiberius um, wanted Jesus and Thomas... They'd done such a good job in Britain that um, Tiberius wanted them to try and sort out problems in Judea. So when Jesus arrived in Judea, nobody knew him. Nobody recognized him. And the key to the whole thing is the Sermon on the Mount. Now, the Sermon on the Mount, which was uh, given out at Copernican, on the edge of what became later Lake Tiberius. And that was a, a pure Druid statement about religion, very clearly evidenced by a, a wonderful man who wrote one of the most important books about Druidism. Um, and uh, and the, 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 the Reverend Morgan... Um, and gives us the clues that Jesus, in fact, was preaching Druidism. And Druidism was far more sophisticated than anybody realizes, extremely important, extremely old. And um, Morgan makes the point that the message that Jesus was preaching when he arrived at Copernicum, his first major teaching to the local people was a Druid message. Well, that shouldn't surprise anybody if they look at the background of what was happening in Britain. The difficulty with these two chaps is that they, their message gets distorted in, in several different directions. Um, and that spoils, if you like, the, the, the reality of the story. Now, Jesus did not die on the cross... Um, what, what he actually did, um, and this is referenced by um, a lot of people, he was within three days of the crucifixion teaching his inner circle of disciples, which consisted of men and women. And what he was teaching them in the various weeks after the crucifixion was... What I'm holding up in the air, you can't see it, but it's a book called The Path of Light. And these are the mystical discourses spoken by Jesus of Nazareth to his inner circle of disciples on the Mount of Olives, recorded and witnessed by the disciple scribes Matthew, Philip and Thomas, like a legal document. And they consisted of both men and women. 
Now, the, that, those teachings which are called the path of light don't appear to about 1740, 1750. And they come out under the Bruce and Askew codices, oh. which weren't found until then. And so we actually have very, very clear message, which all those people who um, are, can, can understand the more spiritual nature of the Druid religion and the religion Jesus is teaching, um, that's in this particular document. And it, it says, witnessed by the disciples, scribes, Matthew, Philip, and Thomas, in the same way that a legal document would be presented. So Jesus did not die on the cross. Um, he was in constant contact with his uh, twin brother, Thomas, and um, Jesus plays a very important role in Britain. Um, he makes sure that Caractacus, who is um, Jesus' son, um, uh, is looked after in Rome and actually has a palace um, and that all the family are looked after. Um, the grandchild becomes Linus, the first bishop of Rome, um, and the British palace is a central meeting point for Christianity. Um, and there's a whole uh, list of attachments here. This, of course, is after Caractacus has led the armies in the west of Britain um, and, and making it a nuisance of himself uh, to the the Roman senior Roman general, um, because there was still very bad feeling between the Romans um, uh, and the British, principally on the back of the uh, problems created um, in dealing with Boudicca. Mm. Uh, Boudicca's husband, uh, Prasergus. Um, in actual fact, left half his properties and land in East Anglia to the Roman Emperor. And then the people um, that we had, these, um, a lot of very good men were killed and died, and we ended up with um, a whole batch of um, absolutely disgraceful Roman emperors who uh, unwound nearly all the good work that had been done. But, of course, by that time... Jesus and Thomas had gone back to Judea um, and were helping to solve problems there. Um, there's lots of lovely um, examples of how this all works out. And um, the story of Jesus and Thomas that I put together over about 20 years um, fits very, very well into this whole um, picture um, and what we have, of course, is a lot of very corrupt people who are only too keen to disrupt um, what's going on. Just to give you one little example. Uh, Thomas uh, was married to the daughter of King Abgar V from Edessa. Edessa was the original home of Abraham, uh, just over the border on the great... Um, uh, Silk Road um, and um, there's a letter where Jesus um, um, receives a letter from 
uh, King Abgar V. Um, this is very well recorded. It's in the, in the Vatican Library. And King Abgar V says to, writes to Jesus and says, look, I've got a, an illness. I wonder, can, can you come and heal me? And um, Jesus writes back. And that letter can be actually seen. It's in the Vatican Library. And what Jesus says to Abgar is, well, I can't come and see you, but I will send one of my disciples. Um, because I have a lot of work to do here, um, and have to report back to he who sent me. Now, the he who sent him was, of course, his uh, father, Tiberius. When we have the time of the crucifixion, um, we actually have um, Pontius Pilate writing letters to Tiberius, keeping him in touch with everything that is going on. Um, on the Temple Mount and everything else, so Tiberius made sure that uh, it looked—you know—he he produced a lot of blood to make it look as though Jesus had been flogged. Um, his guards were, in fact, Scots guards because they'd been educated at Forthingall in Scotland at a Druid academy, um, and uh, and and therefore. Um, Tiberius as the Roman prefect in Jerusalem would have had nothing to do with a Jew or anybody um, um, of no status so to speak but he took a tremendous interest and was involved in making sure that Jesus suffered a minimum amount of stress and suffering um, and, and that um, he was fit and able after three days to continue his teaching to his inner circle of disciples. Several other messages there come out of the text which show that um, um, the important roles and connections of uh, Jesus and Thomas to the Essene and the court of um, Herod. Herod really was a very, very powerful client king of the Romans. Um, and uh, there are all sorts of links here. But you, when you look at the material that I'm talking about, and I, I actually take it step by step, stage by stage, mm. um, it all stands up very well. You've even got people like Geoffrey of Monmouth, who was who the church didn't like him very much, but... Jeffrey, Jeffrey of Monmouth thought that Jesus was uh, Augustus's um, uh, grandson. Um, and and um, there are a whole string of very valuable clues um, which um, tell us there is a far more important story. Um, and the, the last part of that story which I deal with um, in this particular presentation, Jesus and Thomas, um, is the fact that that Muhammad was learning his Christianity at the St. Catherine's Monastery Library, which was not very far from Petra. And Petra was one of the, the great trading centre, and uh, um, Islam 
mistook Mecca for Becca, which was in the Becca Valley, and that um, they all um, turned round and faced um, um, Petra, Petra being the most important trading centre at that time. And that was why Muhammad was very close to the um, Christians at St. Catherine's Monastery Library. Um, the other interesting thing about Muhammad, he was so taken by the, the monks at St. Catherine's Monastery Library uh, that before he died, he had issued three fatwas that Muslims should have equal respects for those what I call the, uh, um, the Christians of Jesus and Thomas. Our problems came about when we had Catholic Church muscling in on the story uh, and they made sure that we've lost so much of the important message which we should all be reminded of. And, and as you probably realise, um, the one thing that Druids were, were peacemakers, um, far more sophisticated than any other religion. Going back to Thoth, the Atlantean, with missionaries from Sidon, going from um, Sidon to Britain in just around about 4000 BC. Um, and Thoth was described as the Atlantean. Um, and we got all those connections. And when we left Druidism, which covered nearly all of Europe and most parts of the world, um, a thousand years, two thousand years before Jesus, then we've actually got the only religion which preached or taught non-violence and peace. Since then, we've had so many people pick up all the different angles from the, the what I call the new religions, and it's totally lost its way. Um, and it's something that we can put right if we actually look at the real records and what actually was said and taught and happened um, post Jesus. Um, very important. Where was the um, where was the last holdout of the Druids? Was it Anglesey? Um, it was said to be Anglesey because that was where uh, so many of them retreated to mm. um, uh, when the Romans started throwing their weight around. Um, and as I say, what all that was happening in Britain at that time was that um, the Romans had behaved so badly to Boudicca and her daughters. Um, and they'd lost control thanks to people like Nero who was in charge um, and a big army went uh, to meet Verdesia's army on the way to Anglesey and they and they, uh, they just behaved incredibly badly and that was the way that Romans dealt with most of the things they were involved with Would that have been the, the Battle of Watling Street? Yes, that was the Battle of Watling Street, and but they'd gone to they, they, those um, uh, leaders of British religion, if you like, 
had gone to uh, Anglesey to kill every druid they possibly could. Um, and up to that time, druids were the peacemakers. That was the big belief yeah. system across the world. Just, so, um, Edmund, just to go back to the beginning where you, you talked about Jesus coming to to Britain in the first place, I'm just trying to get sort of an idea of what's going on there because, well, I'm I'm <coughs> sort of speaking purely from the, what you call like the, the mainstream history, I guess you'd call it, but we have... We have Julius Caesar coming and having a bit of an, an you know an excursion to the UK in what forty forty odd BC I guess, and then you've got Claudius dipping his toe in at some point. You know, at this stage, Britain isn't like a, a Roman province yet. So is Jesus coming over before uh, Britain is uh, made a province of Rome? Then to no, sort. Jesus pulled the whole country round and, and made a great success of trade and everything. Um, and the point about Julius Caesar was that he had two battles which he didn't do very well at. Um, and um, it was the work of Augustus that brought the peace that was needed. And um, the, um, the by the time that Jesus had, had um, left Britain. He'd left it in extremely good, extremely good state. Um, and so the damage was done um, by uh, Suetonius and others who took over uh, under the other, under, the, under the, the, the Roman leaders who didn't know their history, didn't realise... What a good job had been done by their by their predecessors, um, and um, and this is a breakdown, if you like, of of um, law and order um, brought about by the Romans after so much good had been done and so much had been achieved by Jesus and his family. And this is this this good that is um, achieved that you mentioned. This is happening after. Calvary. Um, no, it's happening. All the good was done between Jesus going to Britain at the age of thirteen and leaving Britain to go to Judea to try and solve problems there. Right. When he was twenty-nine. Right. So he goes as a as a teenager. That's where the gospel stories sort of miss miss everything. That's when he goes to Britain, and that's when he's trained in the druidic arts if you like yeah and then when he leaves and returns to judea that's where the gospel stories pick up and he they tell us he starts his missionary yeah so you've got you you've got this very important group of people uh, called the essene um the the uh, court of herod was very much involved with the essene we've got the story of john the baptist etc but there were, th- there were three main groups, which were the Essene, the Sadducees, and the Pharisees. And the people who were uh, tending to cause most of the trouble were the Sadducees. Phar- Pharisees and Sadducees, who were um, they were exploiting every angle on money and taxes in Jerusalem, and that's why they were 
Um, that's why they were. Uh, that's why he flipped the tables. Yeah. He turned the house of God into a den of thieves. Yeah. Right. I mean, I suppose a lot of people who maybe aren't as so familiar with the uh, Christianity or the gospel stories, they, they, they'll all have heard about Pontius Pilate and Pontius Pilate ordering the execution. But it really is the Sanhedrin, isn't it, who are, who are gunning for Jesus. I'm, again, I'm just talking from the traditional, what I know of the traditional stories. Uh, and from what you read, when you read into the Gospels, you're sort of getting the idea that Pontius Pilate was doing everything he could to get out of it, get out of uh, signing yeah, the death warrant. He only had 120 troops in Jerusalem to try and maintain law and order when Jerusalem was overflowing with maybe a million, two million people. Yeah, because it's Passover, isn't it? So everyone's going to yeah. Jerusalem. There, it's like a, it's like a festival. Mm. It's like, you know, the Mount of Olives, there'll have been people camping all over the Mount of Olives and having fires and stuff. It was the, the population of Jerusalem, like I said, it just went up massively. So then when you have, you know, the Sanhedrin, you know, Jesus goes to the temple, starts kicking off. The Sanhedrin are like, we need to get him. It's like civil unrest. There's a massive potential for civil unrest. And, and we know that that happened later on as well with the the revolt in, in 70 AD and it had happened previously as well. And there's like this religious fervour surrounding this period of time in the year. Tensions are, are rising and it, it's like a powder keg. Yeah, just before Jesus went to Rome, um, we hear the story of him being taken into Rome by his parents. And they'd been educated um, by... Uh, the uncle, well, actually Joseph of Arimathea, uh, or Haramathea, which means it was a title rather than a name. And um, we have a situation where Jesus had already had a fantastic education with Philo of Alexandria, who was an Essene or a Pythagorean, much the same. Yeah. Um, and uh, so Jesus went into that temple at the age of 12, 13, and was able to engage with all the senior temple priests on how politics should run and what good government was all about, because that's what he learned all about, both with the court of Augustus uh, and with uh, um, his, his stepfather, Joseph of Arimathea. Well, the other point, of course, is that Arimathea, nobody can find the town of Arimathea, it doesn't appear. But Arimathea, uh, the word Arimathea should have been pronounced Ha-Rama-Theo. And Ha-Rama-Theo was the title given to Joseph of Aramea's grandfather for running the trade routes for a string of Roman emperors. It was a title. And so Joseph's family, instead of being uh, poor people living in stables, uh, they actually ran the trade routes for the Romans. Very, very important point. And Jesus' half-brother ran the the shipyards at Joppa, which was regarded as the gateway to Jerusalem. And so they had a shipbuilding operation and they also had cedar forests, and that was all connected to 
the family, Jesus' family. And then we have um, the question of uh, um, Joseph of Arimathea, or Joseph Arimathea, actually being a member of the Sanhedrin. Yep. Very important. Um, and when we go through all the fine texts and look at all the various features, a whole uh, different story comes out of the woodwork, which is great. It's, it's, all, it's all good news for all of us to see uh, and what's, what's really going on and how uh, over the uh, thousands of years we've all been hoodwinked by, uh, by rumour, by innuendo, by people who never really knew what was going on. And, and you can pick this up when you go through and read the works of all the various historians. And I've been doing this this particular subject so interesting. Um, and I work very closely with Lawrence Gardner, who was somebody on the ball on a lot of these things. And so we have got a fantastic story to tell. It's as simple as that. And the sooner it's told, the better. Yeah, the uh, relevant the there's a few interesting ideas about Joseph of Arimathea and him having to leave Quick Sharp uh, because of his position in the Sanhedrin. I mean, where do you stand on? Because I've heard theories about him and Mary Magdalene going to the south of France, where we see these um, churches of the Black Madonna dotted about all over the place, and then there's what I've also heard the theory of Joseph of Arimathea coming to the UK and being establishing the the sort of the forerunner to Glastonbury Abbey. Is there any uh, have you come across any of that sort of stuff in your research? Yes, there's lots of references there which help my overall story. Um, very important. Um, and Joseph, of course, running the trade routes to the Romans and making regular visits to Britain and Britain being very very important because of minerals. And iron and all sorts of other things, and the connections with Glastonbury. Um, We find all sorts of connected clues there. Um, We find, for example, Joseph of Arimathea, joint founder of a church at Glastonbury and a church at Lanillid, which is in South Wales. South Wales was bursting with coal and iron and everything else. and they were very; these were very, very high-powered people. They were involved in trade and everything to do with trade, and it shouldn't be diminished in any way. Uh, and this is where it, it begins to become really interesting when you see the family connections, and you see uh, this is this man Joseph of Arimathea ending up by being um, a member of a senior member of the Sanhedrin. Now, how did he get that job if he wasn't involved in? in the higher politics of the area. Absolutely, yeah. And what about the Mary Magdalene? Where, do, where does she fit in with your narrative? Well, uh, Robert Graves considers that Mary Magdalene, um, the mother of Jesus, uh, was entitled to an inheritance. The mo- the sorry, the, the mother of Jesus, Mary Magdalene, uh, sorry, I'm, I'm jumping ahead of you. <laughs> right. Jesus's mother Mary, right, um, who had the liaison at the court of Herod in Rome with um, 
uh, Tiberius Caesar. Um, she was, in fact, um, related to the Herod family, and Robert Graves provides the evidence that she was due to inherit a major part of the uh, of the Herod Great's legacy. That's just one of the things that connect her to that that very high level of social connections. Mary Magdalene. Uh, arrives on the scene um, as a wife of Jesus when he goes back to uh, Judea. Um, and um, she produces three children um, by Jesus. And then she eventually does retire to southern France. And so there's a lot in that particular story. And it's all connected up. But Jesus um, had six children in Britain, three children with Mary Magdalene, um, and another six in India. Crikey, we, any of us could be related to him, couldn't we? <laughs> anyway, it, it, there's lots of lovely, lovely stuff. And, um, Take you years to read it all and look at it all. But what we're looking at here is the fact that Jesus and Thomas were essentially teaching the Druid message, which is all about peace between all of us. Um, very, very important. Um, and their connections in India are very important. Uh, to Taxila, for example, which is in the Punjab, and Taxla was the centre of Buddhism. Um, and so we've got very close connections between what Jesus was teaching and what Druidism was all about, very close connections to Buddhism. And then we have the story of Thomas uh, going to India. Um, to um, uh, He was had learnt with the Essene um, a fantastic um, uh, education of practical skills, which there was always the element of practical ability amongst the Essene. And Thomas is still regarded as the patron saint of Masons. And um, he has a meeting with one of the Indian kings and said, what can you do? And he said, well, I can, um, I can build you a palace. And I can build ships for you. Um, and I can furnish it. Um, and so he was very, very competent. But that would have come from that early education with the Essene. It's funny because if, if you like, if you ask the church who was the first uh, missionary to India, they'll tell you Bartholomew. But if you go to India and ask like the Indian elders, they'll tell you it was Thomas. Exactly. Exactly. And you've got you've got. What religions have all done is to distorted the facts to suit their own particular views and directions. One of the most valuable items which supports Thomas is King Alfred, who was based at Winchester. Very important. Um, and, in fact, Thomas, when he was in Britain, was... The, a king of the um, 
the tribe, which was originally Vereker's tribe um, at, um, um, uh, what's the name of the city? Um, not in, just over the ward into Oxfordshire. Colchester? No, that's Essex, isn't it? Yeah, and, and, the, and the point is that what, Alf, what King Alfred did in about 1887, presumably because he had all the records from Winchester, he sent an embassy to pay their respects at Thomas's grave in southern India. Now, King's College, Cambridge, just can't understand it. But it ties together everything I've been talking about, the relationships. And, uh, and Tom, Thomas and Jesus were having regular meetings in India. They were certainly connected to the highest echelons of um, the connected people. Um, we even find a grave for Thomas and Jesus in Japan, which is very well documented. And so... Um, there's a whole range of things here that uh, uh, help to add to the story um, and it's a fabulous story you know it just means it just means that what we've all got to do now is realize that uh, so many religions have been giving us um, I don't want to say a pack of lives but giving us misinformation so all religions should be working towards peace in the same way that the druids were peaceful uh, and you shouldn't be praying and, and preaching. Uh, if you want to fight somebody, you, you should be actually all working together to be peaceful. And that's as simple as that. And uh, it's got very silly now, let's face it. Yeah, I mean, religions are run by people, and this is the biggest problem. And people are fallible and susceptible to... Uh, power and wealth and uh, influence and uh, this is where like uh, a philosophy can be distorted into something that's uh, wielded for material gain and, and worldly gain and this is where we have problems this is where we start having problems isn't it yeah when I'm what I'm doing at the moment is I'm I've got a three part story of what I'm talking about Jesus and Thomas. Now, the first part is the really interesting stuff, which I've covered tonight, and I hope that will be on my website um, within a week or two. Right. And it's the best thing I've ever done. It's got all the various quotes, um, and it'll make things so much clearer when you, you know when you go and have a look at it. I've also done two more, which is. Um, following on from um, the um, um, Catherine's monastery um, and um, what Jesus and Thomas were doing in India and in the Far East and all the connections they had, particularly with the Buddhists, uh, the rap one with the Buddhists. And so will, will people be able to watch them on your website at uh, yeah. goldenageproject.org.uk? Yeah. There's lots already there. Um, yeah. It's just that I've um, I got so... I've got three massive binders on my work on Jesus and Thomas. Um, that's the first one. Um, I did two more, which were 
interesting because of connections with Muhammad um, and and India. Um, I shall redo them, and I shall do them again, um, and so I'll have three uh, very intensive records of uh, Jesus and Thomas and what they did during their lifetimes. And it's all good news. Um, and, and what we have to do, I think, is to um, make sure that people learn as much as they can about the corrections which are needed in the messages put out by the churches. Yeah. Well, it's all good, it's all good news. Yeah, it's fascinating. I love I mm. love this sort of uh, these sorts of subjects and this kind of research. It's just it blows my mind when you hear things like this about different evidence pointing us in a completely different direction. It just uh, I find it absolutely fascinating. Thank you. Um, it I, is fascinating. It has yeah. totally absorbed my life, <laughs> along with all the other features of what I'm dealing with, particularly the work of Christian and Barbara Joy O'Brien, who, he was the only man, he was the world's leading exploration geologist, and he retired um, from the being head of the oil industry with the CBE in 71. And he set about in 71 doing a correct translation of the Sumerian, what were called Karsag epics. As, as you do when you've worked <laughs> for British Petroleum all your life, just uh, yeah. start doing a bit and of Sumerian is, cuneiform. One of our most brilliant exploration geologists who spent six months in the Azores and identified the fact that the Azores were a very large sunken island. Uh, and he puts all that geology together too. But yes. he managed to, uh, Samuel Noah Kramer in, in 66, hoped that somebody would unravel the Sumerian cuneiform. And the Reverend George Barton at the Bryn Mawr Quaker College, uh, attached to the University of Pennsylvania, had had a crack at it, but only got about 10% of it. And what O'Brien did was took all that information and tr tr properly translated the Sumerian records, which gives us the whole story of the Garden of Eden, the gods, and everything that was happening um, way back to the Holocene. The before the Holocene, uh, the uh, you mean uh, back to the the end of the last ice age. Yeah, well, it, it includes, actually, it includes all the evidence that was an advanced civilization on Atlantis and that we had um, cometary debris um, from a supernova explosion um, at about 49,000 BC, um, literally causing absolute mayhem around... Um, 10,850 and this is a whole team of people led by Richard Firestone um, Bernard Dallaire um, West four or five people yeah. um, and what we had was that very very significant ice age 
from 10,850 and it hadn't really cleared until about 9,500 BC um, and um, that was the issue Brian O'Brien dealt with. He'd been the leading exploration geologist in the Rocky Mountains and when he met my Uncle Pat, who was my godfather, uh, father of Barbara Joy O'Brien, um, Uncle Pat said, well, what do you do, young man? And he said, well, I've been working out how far the Rocky Mountains have moved in the last 60,000 years. <laughs> and he had. <laughs> and I even had a, somebody who was with him on the, on the American Geological Survey um, writing to me and saying, was it the same O'Brien? And I said, yes. And his team found oil in Libya. Um, and as I say, he worked himself up to the top of the oil operating companies in Iran um, and re took early retirement in 71 specifically to sort out all these various problems. So that's how I got involved. I actually picked up the phone one day and said, what do you know about the earliest farming? And um, he said, come and see me. <laughs> um, and my work hasn't really stopped since then. <laughs> Wow, and be, and being a, a farmer, and I call myself I'm professionally trained as a, um, a land and wildlife manager. Um, that was my training. At um, um, I worked for one of the biggest farming companies in the country, and uh, I went to Sciences' Agricultural College and got all the various qualifications. And now in um, trying to persuade the British government that if they cannot identify sick badgers which carry TB and cannot stop spending what is now three billion pounds on dealing with badgers, with vaccines, etc., and stopping the sick ones from being located and kindly dispatched by the hunt terrier man, which is always the role that the hunts paid out, then we're going to get into a, a, a ripe old muddle. But that's just one aspect of my work. current work, is, is the sheer massive stupidity and amounts of money um, stopping best traditional practice from getting on with the job that they know best. The whole idea of a foxhound is to work the countryside in a pack, find the sick, the weak, the injured, and make sure they're humanely dispatched quickly, um, which is what we should do with all animals that are suffering. Uh, there's, more, there's more money in badger vaccines, though. Well, that, well there's, there's three billion being spent. <laughs> oh, my God. Three billion pounds. Yeah. Shine a light. Anyway, I've got a few more blood-curdling stories like that, if you want them. <laughs> oh, the mind problem is, you know, I report all the facts and, and all the evidence from the people who've been most closely involved and send it to the National Audit Office. And I can't get the National Audit Office to 
break ranks and these sort of things. It's shame. But um, anyway, we won't get on to climate change. <laughs> uh, best not. Yeah, it's easy to it's easier to spend when it's not your money, isn't it? So just uh, you just best let them get on with it, Edmund. Anyway, I'm looking at my watch and it's... Yeah, it's getting late, isn't it? I've gone on for a long while, so thank you for listening. (laughs) It's been an absolute pleasure. I've loved it, and uh, we'd love to have you back back on further on along the line, maybe talk about the Holy Grail or something like that. I'd love to. I really enjoyed being on, and um, you can read my stuff, and the website is www.goldenageproject.org.uk and then I've got another website which is britishwildlifemanagement.net and you'll find those if you want to look up any of these issues. The British Wildlife Management website is something is more of an ambition for my uh, successors and my family who take over from me because I'm, I'm at the point... Or I'm just about, um, just about breathing. <laughs> and don't think I'm going to last an awful lot longer. But I'd love to see a lot of the work that I've done finalised and properly, you know. Yeah, publicized. a legacy. Yeah, absolutely. Well, all the links will be in the show notes if uh, anyone wants to check it out. And if you're watching on YouTube or Odyssey, you can see the website address there, www.goldenageproject.org.uk. And there's, uh, I'll tell you just before we let you go, um, there's a, I'll just tell people there's a fantastic reading list on the Golden Age Project website for people who want to deep dive it. Uh, dive deeper? <laughs> deep dive it. Dive deeper into these subjects. So check that out. Okay, Edmund, we'll let you go. Yeah. Nice to meet you. Well, I'm absolutely delighted to meet you all, and thank you so much for having me. No, no problem. problem. Take care, look right. after yourselves. Yeah. Okay, all the best. See you soon. Ta-ra. Right then, we're back. The dwarf, the cripple, and the mother of madness. That was our chat with Edmund Ooh. Marriage. Yeah, whoa, mind blown. Yeah, people yes. offended. <laughs> Everyone, Muslims, Christians. Um, he gives zero fucks given. Yeah. This is what he his research has led him to uncover, and mm. he's sticking, you know. The, you know, uh, sometimes the truth hurts. It does. I don't know if it's true. I need to see the... Do- I, need, I need to see the documents. Yeah, we need to see those. We need to see those three <laughs> folders, don't we? Yeah, well... You, when you say the documents, do you mean the actual Dead Sea Scrolls? <laughs> well, well, you mentioned the, um, uh, not the Brown Codex. Um, oh, my gosh. It's gone. The one in 1750. No, uh, Bruce, the Bruce Codex, which I think was found in Qumran. Oh, yeah. Right. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but no, it was, it was um, a seminal, seminal moment, the finding of the Bruce Codex. It's used by a lot of, uh, a lot of the, I think a lot of the Gnostic stuff was came out of the Bruce Codex. Is that where they got the uh, the film Bruce Almighty? Exactly. Yeah. 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 He makes the the who's uh, the the guy from the American Office is the newsreader, and he yeah. he's there, isn't he? Krasinski. John Krasinski. No. Fucks with the auto cue, doesn't he? Yeah, the main one. Yeah. Corral. Corral. Steve Corral. Yeah. That's it. 
Right, so check out the links in the description and um, look out for the presentation coming online at goldenproject.org.uk. I'm going to check that out. And I'd, I'd, like to, I'd love to get Edmund back to talk about the Holy Grail and other things. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, right, go. Housekeeping. <laughs> Housekeeping. <clears throat> Word. This is a value for value podcast. If you find this podcast valuable, please consider returning some value. There's a myriad of ways of doing this. Give up your eavesdropping ways and become a producer and help us out. Yeah. Um, word of mouth. Tell people. If you know someone who likes mm. podcasts, send them a link. Follow us on social media. Share links to of our social media <laughs> profiles wherever. You'd like get the word out. Yes. That's what helps us grow. Mm. Send us uh, a review on iTunes. Yeah. Or if you review us somewhere else, send us that. And we'll read them out. Yeah. I've got any. I've got any mm. reviews this week. No. Got a message though. Got a message from Country Fried Zen on YouTube. Um, oh, yeah. I think commenting on the last video. Uh, I heard the guy. Oh, it was when we were talking about um, LSD. Right. The. Um, what do you call it? The urban myths about people pretending the soup, thinking they're Superman and jumping off buildings. Yeah, when they're that's appealing. I heard the guy I thought I heard about the guy who thought he was an orange and peeled himself story in college too. Yeah, but last year I heard Hamilton Morris on a podcast talking about it, and he said that was an urban myth, and that story can't be found anywhere in the medical literature. Good, great podcast. Uh, Appreciate y'all. <laughs> Much light and love from the swamps of deep South Georgia, U.S. Motherfucking A. <laughs> So thanks oh, for that. Nice. Yeah, thanks for that. Country Fried Zen. Yeah. Yeah, uh, YouTube and Odyssey. If you want to see mm. how the sausage is made, if you're listening on the MP3, find us on YouTube for the interviews. And if you want to see yep. um, the full videos, find us on Odyssey <laughs> and earn some crypto while you do it. Everyone's a winner. Mm. Throw, th- throw some of that back as well if you want. Yeah, throw some crypto our way. I dropped a major bollock, bollock, bollock this week. What did you do? Did you, Oh, my God. So I put the podcast out, as usual, on Monday. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. And then I got a message uh, from, I think it was Lee, Lee from The Big Conspire, messaged mm. me on the old Discord and said, uh, oh, all right, nice podcast this week. Um, was that extra bit of chat in the middle supposed to be there? Were you saying goodbye bonus to the content, guests? Matt. <laughs> yeah, that's like bonus. It's like behind the scenes. I know. Yeah, that's Matt. the paywall content. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Thank God no one said anything incriminating. For once. <laughs> yeah, it's a good job we had a cool guest. Yeah. Because usually Ben and Matt just immediately start slagging the guest off as soon as they've logged yeah, in. Yeah, immediately, yeah. <laughs> Sometimes before the podcast starts as well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I caught some fucking shade off the Discord trolls as well. In what way? Oh, I think it was Slick. I said, oh, nice to hear Matt and Ben for a change. Well, yeah, I don't know if that was a, um, a slight at you or us. And uh, I think it was Lee said that those two should have their own podcasts, you know, talking about oh. talking about TV shows or something, you know, without the dead weight they normally carry about. <laughs> Fucking charming. Well, yeah. I think it'd be quite good that Ben. Who'd you think you're I think <laughs> right. Fine, we'll do that then. <laughs> Sixteen hundred by four thousand. What? <laughs> Numbers, random numbers. <laughs> Generate a random number for me, please. <laughs> buy, random. buy merch from the Amish loot chest. If you want a current oh, t-shirt. Oh, we're still doing this. All oh, right, okay. <coughs> a hoodie. 
literally a communist hoodie and mugs and all the rest of it. Join the Discord. Yeah. We get some more. We've welcomed some new people this week, which is nice to see. And the Discord server is the best place to send us news articles, videos, Artwork. audio clips. Artwork. Yeah. <laughs> Time-stamped video and audio stuff. Show artwork, yes. I Memes know. for Instagram. Focused chi requests. Can request a birthday shout-out. Yeah. Get guest yep. suggestions. And we got two guest suggestions this week, and they are in progress. Yeah. So Excellent. we are listening. Mm. We can't force them to say yes, but... We're trying to force them. We're trying. <laughs> yeah. Jingle requests, £5 fee, corrections... Uh, yeah. Oh, birthdays. You mentioned birthday. Um, Bolt Upright. Bolt Upright's birthday. Thursday the 7th um, of August. Happy birthday, Bolt. <laughs> August? When did, he, when did he request that? <laughs> Sorry, Thursday the 7th of October. That's this Thursday. Bolt Upright's birthday on Thursday. Happy birthday. Happy birthday, Hugh Janus. Yeah. One more orbit of the sun. Uh, you mentioned focus G requests. Mm. Lee from the Big Conspire message on the Discord. I can confirm that unsolicited direction of Chi energy works 100%. My dog is fine. Yeah. And it was the Chi energy that sorted her out. Nothing to do with the trained Excellent. veterinarian who performed an operation to put the dog back together. Exactly. So there you are. There you are. Yeah. Yeah. She is free. Although, perhaps we should charge half veterinary fees. Uh, what's the best way to become a producer? Toss us a fucking coin. Toss a coin Absolutely. Do it for the lads. 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 Oh, we're northern and we're bloody miserable and the weather's fucking shit. Save Blockland. Yeah, if you go to thearmistinquisition.com, you find the PayPal button there and you can sign up for a monthly, give us a one-off. Sustain, uh, well, a monthly would be a sustaining donation. Give us a one-off. Uh, donations of £50 or over yeah. grant you the title of executive producer for that episode. Correct. And uh, everything that we get is reinvested. Mm. Uh, for example, our last executive producer donation, I spent on a two-terabyte external hard drive. Oh, is it this? Ooh. Is it this one that matches your Gypsy Avenger no, T-shirt down here? No, that's a USB charging. All oh, right, okay. Pack. Okay. No, uh, none of our stuff is backed up. What? None of our stuff is backed up, and uh, the laptop's hard disk was full. Uh, There's like 400 gigs worth of video, so I got uh, an external, uh, what do you call it, hard disk, and uh, backed all the videos up. And, and you've waited that long to buy one? I was waiting for the... Fu- well, tell, don't tell me. Like, mm-hmm. tell the producers to pull the finger <laughs> out and send us some donations that we can reinvest. Yeah. We need a, we need a, a laptop with more RAM as well, don't we? So, like, how much do you reckon, Ben? Three grand? <laughs> <laughs> no, my next uh, reinvestment is going to be some sort of vocal um, effect stomp box. Have you not got those already? Can you not, not f- build one of them? Yeah. No, not for vocals and not with phantom power. <laughs> yeah. Adam Curry's, uh, Adam Curry's just got the new Tas- uh, not Tascam. Is it Tascam? Yeah, I think it's Tascam, the new Tascam podcast station. Is this the one you were, that you were throffing over the other day? 
Well, no, because it doesn't do anything that this doesn't do, other than it has a button here. And it makes your voice sound like the devil. Oh, okay. And it got me thinking, you know, I can... Uh, um, there's no sign of a firmware update for this machine being able to produce that kind of functionality in the near future. So I want to invest in a, a vocal stomp box where I can just add some more joviality into the podcast with the sound effects on the voice. Right, okay. I reckon you can build one. Five minutes. No. <laughs> no, you can't. Ten minutes. No. No, it's got to have it's got to have phantom power on it for a start, and there's very few that have phantom power in the vocal effects. Um, no, it's not TC Electronics. It's um, TC Helicon, is it? In TC Helicon, all the stomp boxes have phantom power in, but there there are one effect per box. So delay box, overdrive box, whatever. I need a multi. Effects. Um, I don't know why I'm talking about this. It's boring. Go on Zoom 505. Yeah, no phantom power, so it won't work. Won't work with the Triton FET head. Might won't work. Uh, mm, this inline right. preamp needs phantom power delivered via here. You put. Why are we? Why, I'm trying to get away from this. And you keep, <laughs> just when I thought I was out, they pulled me back in. <laughs> <coughs> What else? Oh, Big Spuds. Big Spuds on the Discord wants to know when the first live show is going to be. When's the live show going to happen? Oh. Big pub session and debate <laughs> pre-passport. Pre-passport? Pre-COVID passport, it means. Oh, right. Okay. While it's still legal to do sort of things like that. We could do one at the ferret, I bet. I'm sure I mentioned this maybe a year ago. Just, we could do one anywhere. In private. We could, we do could yeah. But... All we need is an internet connection and a socket. Yeah, we can do one yeah. anywhere, but uh, it's no point doing it if no one's going to come. No, and no. Uh, I think seventy percent of our listeners are in America. So yeah, and the other thirty percent are in, in India. <laughs> India. <laughs> Is that not true? <laughs> no, no. It's it's like uh, I think it's about sixty five percent America, twenty five percent UK, and then the rest is made up with Australia, Canada. Right. Okay. Yeah. Routing internet traffic yeah. everywhere. All right, so we thank the producers for episode 202. If we must. I think it's time, isn't it? It's time to big up the man Dems. Yo. Okay, we have mostly business. Helen from Bartshire, Slicko, Lee from the Big Conspire, Big Spuds, and Anonymous. You're so amazing. They are. Yeah. So amazing in their love. It's a miracle. Literally. The best mate. Yep. What did you do with Big Chungus? The dwarf. The carrots. The grape. The cunt. The communist. The homophobe. The misogynist. The cripple. The mother of... Money bickering! From hell. <laughs> yeah, it's good. Um, no monetary support this week, which is uh, disappointing. But... Lots of stories sent through, which we haven't got time to get to. We'll do our best to just wrap through some funny stuff quick. Um, I think we should do some focus chi requests. Um, Who wants it? Um, you know our previous guest, Ricky Verandas, from the Ripple Effect podcast? Yes. Why is it still going? How long is this bed? Fuck me. <laughs> um, 
Yeah, Ricky has had his YouTube channel nuked. It's gone. Oh. Uh, I think he was on about 6,000, 6,000 subs, something like that. Right. And uh, it's gone, disappeared for the usual nonsense. So I think Ricky could do with some focus chi. I was going to say we should send some to Graham as well, our previous guest Graham from Grime America, All right. for for his COVID. Yeah. He got the COVID. But he, he was, he, Does he get the fits? He was over it, four days over it. So I don't think we should spare, I don't think we should waste any chi on him. Mm. He, does, he obviously doesn't need it. He went on the old uh, ivermectin and whatnot. Yeah. Early. And uh, he seems fine from what I hear. So good luck. Good uh, good job, Graham. Well done, Graham. We're thinking about you. Mm. Right, shall we do some focus chi then? Mm-hmm. You ready? Okay. Right. I only close one eye for most of that. Probably safest. Yeah. You don't know what I'll do to you if you close both your eyes. No. Not give you a wet willy. If you're talking about getting pedals. Pedals? Mm. Wow. You, you said that? you're getting a, a vocal pedal. Yeah, I want a pedal down here that I, I can know. turn on. And well, that's not, got, that's not talking about You feel about, about rack effects. You could have a rack, <laughs> uh, like a multi-effects rack, rack-mounted effects plugged in, in line, and then just like a, I don't know, an on-off box. <laughs> you get one with a... Usually you get them with a, a foot switch jack. What about software? Oh, no. Oh, no. Not on that thing, that laptop. I'd, uh, yeah. Regardless of laptop, hardware is better than software. Look at OBS. I mean, just, yeah. it, just, it just it acts weird for no apparent reason. Yeah, it's not good OBS. I'd rather just have a a standalone box. Why do you keep bringing me back to this? I'm trying to get through the (laughs) podcast because it's late. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, What? COVID news. (laughs) (laughs) COVID-19. News. People have got to understand vaccination is going to be, in the end, your route to liberty. The magic vaccine. A big fat shot in the ass. From hell. Oh! You know, it's just, you know, super painful. Like a judgment day and terminating mode like. It's not going to allow us to go completely back. <laughs> <laughs> Safe, you think I'm wearing a face mask? <laughs> Read the standing orders. Read them and understand them. Uh, Savage Javid's wow. caught some uh, shade this week because he was having a go at the frigging care workers. You heard what he thinks about the care workers? No, what's he said now? They should be getting vaxxed up and going back to work or something? Oh, they're mandating it for care workers, aren't they? Oh, well, yeah. It already has been, hasn't it? That was the issue. I don't think it's come into force yet. Oh, right, okay. I don't, I'm not sure. I thought but, it was gone because somehow they've got some objection to this vaccine, then really, honestly, they shouldn't be in our care homes. They should go and get another job. I'm... Get another job. In a Yeah, that's a bit much. Well, the thing is, they are. They're going to work for the <laughs> NHS. Yeah. Where the vaccine isn't mandated. But has just been um, put out to... Uh, 
see whether or not they should do. I can't remember what the term is. It's being not debated. It's I don't know. Basically, they're deciding whether or not they're going to mandate it. Yeah, now. it depends on the un- the unions won't want it, will they? Um, I don't know. I think some of them do. I think when when I've been reading about it, they're sort of saying about you know obviously it's the obvious ethical thing about saying that someone has to have something injected into them to work somewhere, you know, which is, in my opinion, not right. Oh, there you go. Well, the care workers have said... This is our line in the sand. You know, some of them anywhere, and they're going to move on and yeah. go and work somewhere else. I mean, the problem is is that there's already massive shortages in this se- sector uh. because, you know, they're underpaid, overworked and underappreciated. Yeah. And it's just going to make the problem worse, isn't it, you know? I think the the rep from the uh, one of the care home associations said they reckon maybe ten percent will leave, and there's already something like one hundred twenty six thousand vacancies. Yeah. Yep. It's gonna have the. Uh, it's not gonna. It's not gonna help matters. I don't think the mandate. No. Coming after footballers as well. I mean, it's not gonna get. It's not gonna stop people. It's not like it's hundred percent of these people are not gonna pass it on to people in care homes. No, it's not like, it's a leaky vaccine, isn't it? It doesn't stop you getting it or <coughs> spreading it. Yeah, that's the thing. Yeah, I've, I've been reading stuff and, you know, people talking about it. You know, if you don't get the vaccine, you'll... Come on, mate. <laughs> just wait. Try to stop it coughing fit. I'm just, <coughs> I'm just waiting for you to finish unwrapping your sweet there. I mean, the polite thing would have been just to mute yourself. Yeah. <laughs> when you were put wincing. Um, but there you go. I don't even know what I was saying. Well, it's it's the same old story for the care homework, isn't it? Well, the thing is, what you do, you call between the devil and the rock at a hard place. <laughs> yeah. They're going to end up... Disqualified! Yeah, just work your way through the soundboard. That's the yeah. safest bet. That's what I normally do. Yeah. No... We'll see. We'll see how what happens. I mean, it, it seems like it's going to go forward, and there'll be a mass exodus of staff, and uh, see where the chips fall. Would be interesting if they do make it mandatory in the NHS. What whether people start leaving the NHS? Because in some places it's supposed to be up in the ninety percentile, ninetieth percentile. Um, you know, who people who've had two vaccinations, and then in other places it's like seventy odd. I think it's it's very high in care home workers. Is it right? Okay. Yeah, I'm sure it's over eighty <clears> percent. <throat> okay. No, it's, it's it's nonsense. Oh yeah, that was it. Sorry, wasn't it about you know saying that? Uh, it seems to be a lot of talk at the moment about having the vaccine to protect other people, so you didn't, so you won't pass it on. Does it actually reduce your viral load, so you wouldn't pass it on the vaccine, or is it just you know? No, according to the CDC, what was it about a month, six weeks ago? Yeah, that's what it, I mean. So it, it did. Uh, that it has no them. effect on it whatsoever, your viral load. Well, the thing, do you know why? The vaccine goes in your arm. Yeah. When you get a natural, natural infection, it comes through your airways. Yeah. So that's where your antibody responses concentrate with natural uh, infection, yeah. in your airways. Okay, so that the, makes yeah. it harder for you to yeah. pass it on, whereas if you get it in your arm, and then it goes to your, all around your lymph nodes, and it mm. goes to your uh, your ovaries if you're a woman. Yeah. <laughs> It's, you know, so I don't know. It's, it's one of them. I, I feel sorry for him because you know we shouldn't be having to resort to mandating stuff like this. It's not. 
No. So, anyway, let's get away from that, because there's a new symptom on the COVID block. I'm waiting for... Uh... <laughs> is it a tickly cough? No, no. I'm waiting for Tim Spector. That's the first one, isn't it? <laughs> I'm waiting for Tim Spector to update the uh, Zoe app when it comes to this symptom. COVID can have some unpredictable symptoms. We just learned about a new one because, for the first time ever, a COVID patient has been diagnosed with restless anal syndrome. <laughs> now, I hear you asking, Stephen... What is a restless anus? <laughs> Apparently, it was experienced by the 77-year-old patient as deep anal discomfort, which gave him an essential urge to move. <laughs> by the way, essential urge to move was James Brown's least popular album. Yeah, restless anal sy- syndrome. I think I always have that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Maybe it's one too many... Anal swap tests. Yeah, you're damn right. In the old... Asthma! Hello? <laughs> 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 yeah, on fire tonight. I know, yeah. Oh, my God, he's wiping his arse. <laughs> <laughs> have, you, have you pooled all of the arse-related... <laughs> no, of course Clips. not. Phil McCracken. <laughs> they've got a cure for it. They've uh, got a cure for restless anal oh, syndrome. Here we go. Yeah, yeah. They give him a big fat shot in the ass and... You know what they shoot in the ass? Uh, toss... Tossilizu, mub. Yeah. <laughs> I forgot what Tossilizu, mub was. Yeah. Tossilizu, mub. Can you, you remember? Yeah, it's one of these therapeutics that's uh, sort of not gone anywhere really, <clears> isn't it? I don't know. Yeah. You've got tips for uh, restless anal syndrome, haven't you? There we go. All you need to do with the dessert spoon is put it in a bowl of warm water as well before you shove it up your ass. Let's get it in there. Give it a good scratch. You know, my uh, wife says that to me about five times a week, that that little clip there. (laughs) Wow. Why? (laughs) Why? I don't know, just to mock me, I think. Well, I mean... When I'm irritating her, probably. Right. Were you talking from personal experience? Well, about her shoving her... About the spoon, yeah. Well, I imagine, you know, if you shoved a cold spoon up your bum, then that would be more shocking than a warm one. Yeah. Do you want to massively clench? Um, I'm not going to confirm or deny clenching. I mean, you know, we're talking hypotheticals. Why is it a dessert spoon as well, isn't it? I can't remember the conversation. Would you not start with <laughs> a teaspoon and just work your way up? Well, I, I don't... Why well, it's like Coke spoons. Those little tiny salt spoons from Victorian times. <laughs> yeah, like mus- a mustard spoon. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> way, way up to a ladle. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I can lend you a slot. A big, I've got a big slotted spoon if you want to borrow it for the weekend. Oh, I'd be like a cheese grater. <laughs> <laughs> Handy for the peas, though, the old slotted spoon. Right. Do you use it for the peas? Um, How do you cook your peas? Just in a pan. In a pan, all right. We do them in the microwave. Because you're, you know... How the other half live. Yeah, because <laughs> it's, it's quicker. It's quicker. And then uh, you just... I got no time to wait for peas. <laughs> no, no. I want them done in three minutes, start to finish. <laughs> so then you uh, use your spotted, <laughs> your slotted spoon to scoop the peas out, and it drains the water while you're doing it. 
Wow, this is a revelation, Phil. I'm sure our <laughs> listeners are like, what the hell? A slotted spoon? Yeah. yeah. That is the future. Life hacks. Mm. Yeah. Did you see the, uh, the just going back to uh, the COVID, did mm. you see the uh, the advert on talenttalks.co.uk? Only because you sent it me. Oh, did I? Yeah. NHS shoot. People aged 18 to 80 to be hospital patients Friday the 24th of September. Paid 120 quid a day. Well, it's been done then, hasn't it? Yeah, I know. I wonder what we're going <laughs> to see it on. Is it going to be all, one of those look into their eyes and tell them <laughs> tell them you got vaccinated? <laughs> maybe. Maybe. I'm just laughing at Ben having a coughing fit. Look into his eyes and yeah. tell him you <laughs> washed your hands. Before you gave him a, a different kind of coronavirus. Oh, the, this, it's all over news, isn't it? That all these other viruses are going to turn up and uh, just cripple everyone. Well, I, yeah, I've been crippled since the beginning of <laughs> September. I'm like, I'm on my third third cold. I've had like two sore throats, a bad sore throat with like a proper uh, immuno response, like yeah. my knees and my back were aching and stuff. And then uh, I've had a, another sore throat, and then I've had a cough. Um, with a slight sore throat and still got a tickly cough now. Well, it's autumn. It's that time of year. Yeah. PSA. <clears throat> PSA. Take your vitamin D. 4,000 IUs a day. Yeah. You know, if you're in the Northern Hemisphere, you should be supplementing vitamin D. Massively important for your immune system. Mm. Proven to boost your immune system. You need to take it. Six quid for a year's supply. You know, give yourself a chance. <laughs> I mean, I, I don't think I've had anything yet this year, but I think I'm I'm sort of less isolated than the general pop. I think so. I tend to be mm. in different houses all the time. Maybe I've caught up, caught things during the year where you know everyone else has just been mm. hiding in the bedrooms and doing uh, Zoom and yeah, probably home working and homeschooling and stuff. Yeah, I was thinking but you would you would think with the kids going back that would help, you know, spread stuff around. Yeah, that's where I think it's all come from. But I, was, I thought I would have yeah. had had loads of stuff anyway from the younger one because he's always been in nursery. But, yeah, but no. it's not happened. No, but he's been ill. He's been ill <laughs> constantly. Plus you haven't had it. Yeah. No. And then, uh, yeah, I've just been whacked with the cold. Fucking hell, there was a study came out, Not so, I think it came out in August, and they were tracking um, kids who were born during the pandemic mm. um, with cognitive tests. Right. Spatial awareness test. 22 points dropped. IQ. <laughs> okay, yeah. Couldn't believe it. Yeah. I'll have to find the link and send it to you. It's absolutely wild. Because mm. of the complete lack of interaction, more time on screens. Mm. It's like, whoa. And it was like, it wasn't some like Looney Tunes. This was like a respectable... Uh, <laughs> some Looney Tunes. Yeah, a respectable university. And these guys who've been researching children cognitive behavior for like fucking decades right and they're saying whoa this is a, a major issue they're like they had the kids before 2019 mm. and the the they measured the they measure these kids at like three different stages in the development and for the last 20 years or whatever they've been doing it it's been average iq 100 mm-hmm. on the tests that they use comes to 2020 average iq 72 mm-hmm. it's fucking wild Mm-hmm. But you know, let's move on. I've got some on transhumanism. It's my new pet subject. Yes, yes. Ben loves Sign it. Sign me up. Whatever it is. 
It's uh, the Internet of Bodies. <laughs> the focus is all of you know. This guy's from the Atlantic Council, so that's a very famous NGO. It's yeah. ties to <laughs> fucking Rockefeller Foundation, the WEF. Um, mm. See, so yeah, Council on Foreign Relations, Atlantic Council is just another one of these fucking NGOs who tells how we're going to live. Oh, today is on what's now called the Internet of Bodies, involving medical implants and other kinds of devices that go inside your body and all together with the Internet as a whole comprise the Internet of Bodies. The Internet of Bodies, or IOB, is, um, is actually an ecosystem. It's a bunch of devices that are connected to the Internet that contain software and that either collect personal health data about you or can alter the body's function. We think of the Internet of Bodies as this collection of all these devices as well as all the data that the devices are gathering about you. And in healthcare, it's Internet of Bodies has, has been around for quite a while. So the Internet... So I think that Mojo Lens sort of fits <coughs> under this umbrella. But it's any device that, yep. that gathers data on you. And it's not just your physical body, it's your psychology. It's A lot of it's to do with marketing. Mm. Resistance um, is futile. Yeah, exactly. You you will be assimilated if you comply. Mm. <laughs> um, you asked if there was any... Did you ask if there was any downsides, Ben? No. <laughs> no. I know no. there's no downsides. <laughs> okay, well, let's, let's get a second opinion. Let's ask... Um, who's this? <laughs> Eleanor Pavels, she's the former director of the... Made up name. (laughs) Former director of the Anticipatory Intelligence Laboratory at the Woodrow Wilson International Centre for Independent Scholars. And this is... Yeah, I know. This is what she says about (laughs) the Internet of Bodies. So the Internet of Bodies. um, Imagine the power of AI. What is artificial intelligence? It's a way to automate computation and cognition. So we can now automate learning, perceiving, uh, doing computation. It's a pervasive general purpose technology that will be used in all of our industries that will come into our professional networks, our private networks, our schools, our industries and our offices. What I wanted to epitomize with the Internet of Bodies is this notion that we will be under assessment, we will be under measure of computation in every aspect of our lives in the future, from what you eat, who you date, what you buy on the internet, um, how much energy you use, but also what are your vital signs, how well are you doing in terms of health, Uh, what kind of specific genetic quirks do you have, what's your genome telling about your health, about your mental health, Mm -hmm. about how well you are doing, how well you are aging, what kind of disease you are susceptible to. It has a bit of an Orwellian twinge to it. Well... (laughs) Yes. <laughs> well, I don't know about you guys, but I suddenly want to buy a small hatchback. Yeah. Or, or maybe, um, oh, you're all right. You've got a caravan. Just take your caravan, caravan. And, caravan into the woods and set up shop. Yeah. You, you, away from the 5Gs. Well, that, that all sounds great. I mean, you know, that's, uh, yeah, like I say, uh, yeah, I'll have my vitals read out to me at any given moment. I can get that anyway, I think. Yeah, you're already on the slippery slope. Mm-hmm. You're already an early adopter of the uh, sort of technocratic overlordship. 
You mean yeah. the future, right? <laughs> it doesn't it doesn't have to be just the because, inevitable future. <laughs> just because you have the technology doesn't mean that you have to use it, and doesn't mean there shouldn't be safeguards in using it. That's the thing. Yeah, and it's all about data. What's the old marketing maxim? If it's free, you're the product. Your data you're is the, the product. product. You know, you get this wonderful device and then you you sign the turn T's and C's where they get to collect all your data and sell it to the highest bidder. The you, you, don't, is, you don't get to sell it. They sell your data. The irony is <laughs> these these devices are far from free. <laughs> no, but people still climbing over each other for them. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you're paying for the privilege to have your data sold, collected and sold and used in, in ways that you don't even know how it will be used in the future. It's uh, it's very, it's concerning, especially when they, they sort of bring in artificial intelligence into the mix, and how this data will be able to be, be chunked so much more um, efficiently than it is currently, and and then you you go down the rabbit hole. Well, how predictive will it be? It'll be able to predict exactly where you are, in, in any day of the I think, week. I think that already exists. Well, like Minority Report. It might even I, be able to. It might even be able to predict you, you doing a crime before you actually do it. I often on on Sundays about seven o'clock have a notification that tells me where your house is. Yeah, because it knows that I will be doing that. Yeah, in an hour's time. Here's your journey. Here's the traffic on your future journey. Yeah, but you and just... I think that is handy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is handy. It's convenient. That's what. That's the main thing. Is, is convenience. But you've got to extrapolate. You've got to extrapolate where it's going to lead to, and then you can decide whether well, your it's... house, hopefully, in record time. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Anyway, uh, last thing. I was listening to um, there was a bit of a hoo ha in, the, in uh, New South Wales this week. The uh, the premier of New South Wales has right. had to resign. Oh, Gladys Berejiklian. Oh my God, sounds like a sounds like a Bajoran <laughs> name. <laughs> or maybe Romulan. Is that one of Jesus's brothers? <laughs> yeah, Gladys, Gladys Berejiklian. Um, corruption, obviously. Why does a politician ever resign? She's uh, under the cosh for... Does a politician ever exist? <laughs> and uh, I was listening to the ABC, Australian Broadcasting Corporation, reports, and uh, my ears, my ears pricked up when I heard this. Any wrongdoing, um, but it's it certainly... Um, this is um, only the beginning of the next chapter, I would say. Mm-hmm. Paul, we're just going to bring in state political reporter Ashley Raper now. Ashley Raper. <coughs> Let's uh, bring back in our political reporter, Ashley Raper, there. What was her actual name? Or his actual name? It's not an heir apparent just to step up. This is Ashley. It's not just all in place ready for for a smooth transition here. Ashley Raper there. Thank you. uh... Raper. R-A-P-E-R. Right. That's the end. Well, okay. Have you heard that surname before? No. I think I've got I've got a stapler with that on it, so probably probably is a surname. So someone is it not Reaper? Reaper, Raper. Yeah, is it not? Uh, I don't know. Do you mean this one? No, oh. Ben's stapler. Oh, it's uh, Rapesco. Yeah, that's completely different. Yeah, sorry. That's Rapesco. 
if you want to yes, it is. if you want to get yeah. the, the get the rape in there rapes go but it is a surname it's just the unfortunate <laughs> connotations well it got me thinking because most surnames like Steve Hitler <laughs> most surnames are based off occupations like goldsmith Mm. Yeah, and Australia was a started off as a prison colony. Oh right, yeah. So maybe it was like think... you know, like going to the butchers. Hey Sheila, so where are you going? Well, I'm going to go and nip to the butchers. And I'm going to nip by the rapers. <laughs> maybe it's something to do with old sea rape. What's that? Old sea rape. Oil sea what? Rape seed. Oh, rapeseed. Yeah, oil seed rape. How do they make that? Out of rapeseed. You know the How yellow. Do, you do, know, do you know the fl- there's yellow flowers in in fields, not sunflowers, but you... do they have to crush them or something? <clears throat> so when they so they flower, and then when they produce the seeds, they produce tiny black seeds like the size of sesame seeds. Yeah, and, and you can get cold pressed rapeseed oil, which is right. which is the quality shit, or you can get. Uh, Mechanically, sort of stuff where they, they get the husks Press. and the yeah, and they steam it out. <coughs> so, someone who produces you, uh, you're absolutely right, though, Phil. Um, oh, Raper is an old English surname and it has its origins from the seventh century word rap, meaning a rope, oh. with the suffix er meaning one who does. So, it's a, ro- a medieval occupational name for a rope maker. Oh, right. Well, there you go. It just has an unfortunate connotation now. Only, only, uh, yeah, I suppose, yeah. Only to non-rope makers. So do you think rope used to be called rape? Maybe rape was rope. Uh, also recorded as rapper. Right. Oh, don't get started on R. Kelly. It's there in bold. Seventh century rap was a rope, so... Right. Yeah, there you go. Oh, I thought she was named after a rapist. Well, I'm I'm, uh, I'm kind of glad that it's uh, rope, a rope yeah. maker, rather than a yeah, rape. Yeah, I, I understand where you went with the whole uh, criminal thing, like the be uh, Steve Robber. Yeah. I was half right. Dave tax fraud. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What are you clicking on now? He's just like, he's gone just down. I was closing this window. Oh. I'm in my 7th century uh, medieval occupations. <laughs> Before he does these Zoom share screen tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> he's got a different, a whole different set of computer stuff for that. Yeah. Right, is that it then? Are we done? I'm, I'm, I'm done. You're spent. Right, well, come on. Let's get home. It's late, isn't it? It's time to go. Yeah, I've got, yeah. A, got a long commute back downstairs. Yeah, it took us a while to get going tonight, so... <sighs> <Tell me why. laughs> right, then. Yeah. No idea what's right, happening. live show next week, then. <laughs> <coughs> See yeah. you in the pub. I've no idea what's happening next week. I'm sure it'll be something good, though. Yeah. All right. Usually, so we'll tune in and see what happens. Yeah, yeah man. All right. Look after yourselves and each other. Praise Jabulon. Yeah, praise Jabulon. Epstein didn't kill himself. Oh, man. (laughs) (laughs) 
You stepped over my. You stepped on my Epstein. <laughs> Crashed your pips. Yeah. <coughs> right. See you later. See you next week. Right. Are you not entertained? Are you not entertained? I like what you got. Good job. I look like a war-hardened goblin. I got hairy legs. You know what? You're a real wanker. I've been coming to terms with the fact that I'm a Marxist. Because I'm literally a communist. Won't you take your attic? I leaned over. Cut a great. LGDP, LGT, LBG. I like what you got. Good job. Kiss my moist cunt.